welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 3, Episode 9, Hell Week. The original air date for this episode was November 23rd, 1987. It was directed by James Conway again, and it was written by uh, Leonard Mladenow and Scott Rubenstein, which I think is the first, like, co-written episode we've had in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the only MacGyver episode from either of them. And uh, uh, Rocketeer on the MacGyver Online forums pointed out that uh, Leonard has a PhD in physics. Okay. Which may have been an inspiration for this episode. Um, but why don't we cover uh, the episode in brief? Oh, in this episode, MacGyver is returning to one of his many universities. This is, the, I think, the third now after Westport and the College of the Canyons from Flames End and yeah. Ugly Duckling, respectively. And uh, he is going coming there at the the request of the professor of physics to co-judge a barricade contest. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, when we get into it, uh, it's it's kind of str- well, you know, because we're getting a couple people back. Uh, one person back in particular. Yeah. Um, and that uh, the character of Professor Julian Ryman is played by Lawrence Dobkin, who right. we had as the, he was a, a political prisoner in uh, the Prisoner of Conscience, Conscience yeah. in season one. And this third college uh, being now Western Tech is a college that he's attended. Yes. Which we guess is supposed to be Caltech. Yeah. Could be something uh, like that. And uh, it's, it's their annual Physics Follies. F-I-Z-Z-I-C. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is a contest in which the the best students... I'm not sure how the students are chosen, but there are four chosen. Yeah, somehow there's only four that qualify to participate. Right. Um, and, and, well, he does say at the beginning that they've narrowed it down to four. Right. But from what? I wonder. Yeah, like, was there a different barricade contest mm-hmm. before where they had... Or is this, like, the same barricades that have passed a bunch of tests? Yeah, well, because... Because it doesn't seem like uh, it's based on grade point average because we find out that uh, Ryman's son is not doing well. Yeah, and David actually makes a point that he's not finished with his barricade between announcing the final four in the contest. So it's not like people have already tried it because he said Mm -hmm. it wasn't finished. Yeah, so so we don't know how they were selected, but it's it's down to four. And uh, and, uh, so one of them is David Ryman, who is the son of the professor. Right, and Uh, we have... Aaron, Hillary, and... Jeffrey. Jeffrey, yeah. yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> or Joffrey, as I'm going to call him. Yeah, yeah. He, Jeffrey is your your typical... Uh, uh, Supervillain. Yeah. He's Kent from Real Genius. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, just like smarmy and... and self- Although, as unlikable as he is, I still think he technically won this contest. Well, but it's up for debate. Yeah. he David could have been a little bit more uh, discreet. Yes. I don't think it's it's Jeffrey's fault that they were just blathering on and on about how the experiment worked loud enough for people to hear it outside the room. Exactly. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. The The opening scene is them, uh, the four students, kind of like praising themselves, because one of the students who's kind of like announcing the finalists is one of the finalists. Yeah. And it almost feels like he might have been a better choice for the David character. Oh, absolutely. Um, and this, this actor is John Cameron Mitchell, who most people will recognize as Hedwig from Hedwig and the Angry Edge. Um, he had co-written the story and directed the film and starred in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done a lot of work all yeah. over the place and a, a lot of uh, stage work and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think uh, that he might have he might have been a better choice for the David character 
and he's certainly the most vocal one here in mm-hmm. the beginning. Um, but yeah, he's announcing the the top four winners, and he and he ends with himself. Yeah, and at this point, MacGyver arrives in his jeep, and uh, David immediately recognizes him. So there's clearly some kind of past relationship. Right. Yeah. That he's visited the campus before, and and the professor, um, and uh, so you know David just kind of like talks like, oh, you know the contest. I'm looking forward to, you know showing how my dad how good i am at you know being like him and things like that yeah macgyver can already immediately see that there's some like stress going on with him yeah um but you know the the students all head in and uh, macgyver goes and kind of does a little bit of reminiscing by looking at the barricade contest winner uh like it's like a the hall of fame yeah exactly it's all it's all their pictures uh starting with julian ryman uh who won it in 1958 yeah, 58 or 59. It was like yeah. in the 50s, late 50s. And then we also see that MacGyver apparently had won when he attended. In 73, yeah. Uh, I kind of want to know more about MacGyver's barricade. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious what, what he came up with. I'm trying to think of what we've seen him do to barricade walls before, like if it's maybe just a reuse of something like that. I've mostly only seen him blow up walls. Yeah, he's usually trying to get in. He's not trying to keep people out. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, that's when uh, Professor Ryman comes in and, you know, greets MacGyver, you know, how you doing, and kind of kind of hassles him, much like uh, uh, in Flame's End, like, it's like, how come you didn't stick with physics? You could have you had a great career in physics, and instead he disappeared and went off and did whatever, and, uh, but MacGyver is convincing him that he's happy doing what he's doing. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the actor, uh, Lawrence Dobkin, who we have playing Professor Ryman, has a, a bunch of huge credits that I don't remember if we covered last time we had him on the show. But um, he was in The Day the Earth Stood Still. He was in Julius Caesar, uh, Ten Commandments, Patton. So a bunch of, like, old-school classics, like mm-hmm. the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. And, because it's been remade a few times. Um, but one of my favorites is the movie Them, which is a, a 1954 sci-fi thriller about giant ants attacking yeah. Los Angeles. And that's that's a pretty fun one. I'm going to have to uh, revisit some of those, because, like, Day the Earth Stood Still, I really know pretty well. Yeah. And, obviously, it's, you know... 30, 40 years before this. He probably looks more like that, that picture in 58. Exactly. So I'm trying to think of uh, who he would have played. Yeah. And he's also directed some stuff, including... I mean, he's he's appeared in a lot of Star Trek episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, he actually directed the second episode of the original series, which was called Charlie X, mm. which is like they find a kid with powers that he doesn't really know how to control. Okay. And then um, between 1971 and 1993, he provides the voice of uh, the Disney Hall... Uh, of presidents, okay. so he did like the the narration for the Hall of Presidents, which, which I but only then, which yeah. I only know one line from. <laughs> Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess he would in 1971. He came in and read the whole roll call of the presidents, and then he kept coming in through 1993 to like update it every time there was a new president mm-hmm. elected. But then since then, they've had someone else doing the job. I guess I've never been through that. I haven't either, actually. Is it still I've seen there? the Lincoln thing at the at the yeah, local Lincoln. Disneyland one, but I haven't seen like the whole Hall of Presidents. Yeah, I don't think they have one at, at our Disneyland. I think there's one at Disney World. Okay, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Listeners, maybe you can fill me in. Yeah, because Bill and Ted se- sure seem certain that they've been to yeah. it. Yeah, my dad um, a long time ago was working security at some warehouse in L.A. and like he was just wandering through one of the warehouses at night, and they had all these 
presidential animatronic heads, and, he's, and he realized it was the ones from the Hall of Presidents that That's they actually amazing. had them in a warehouse. But he was just like he thought someone had broken in because he turned and there was a face right there, but it was <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's face. That, that's like that's like a Futurama kind of thing going mm-hmm. on there, like all the heads in jars. Exactly, specifically <laughs> presidential heads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I, I uh, Dobkin, I know the I can I can I know immediately an episode of TNG that he's in, not from. I, th- I think he's like a Klingon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I I can I'm hearing his voice as the character. And oh, it's okay. Like, it's. It's an episode, I can't remember the title, where Geordi is kidnapped by uh, Romulans yeah. and brainwashed to kill a Klingon ambassador. Oh, right, uh, right, right. And one of the Klingons that played, that Dobkins plays is is in on it. And, uh, you know, so he's like a traitor. So he's played a bad guy before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can totally hear his voice as the Klingon. Yeah, that's funny. And then it kind of fits the relationship, like the father and son relationship, that he has, like, a Nobel Prize and his son keeps screwing up. And the the actor playing his son's other most famous credit is as the voice of Diddy Kong on Tony yeah. Kong, the TV show, um, which I never saw, but I'm sure it was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as some of the other Nintendo cartoons, right? I'll say that much. Um, and uh, so we kind of come from there into one of the physics classrooms, right? Where all the students are well, most of the students seem to be working with liquid nitrogen. Because, Even though they're supposed to be working on superconductors, he said. Well, yeah, well, I mean, you, 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 superconductors need to be kept ice cold. Yeah, But yeah. it doesn't seem like anything that they're doing is related to superconductors, except yeah. having liquid nitrogen. Yeah. Like, uh, like it just didn't seem it didn't seem to work. Like, superconductors work when you get them at ex- at pretty much absolute zero, as close as you can with like liquid nitrogen or right. helium. And uh, and then there's this no electrical resistance at all through them, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and people, they've been made more famous recently because people have been, uh, using the, uh, those magnets with them. I don't know if you've seen like this, uh, have you seen like the recent hoverboard where they had Tony Hawk on an actual hoverboard and there's like all this like, uh, smoke coming out of it? I don't know if I have. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, I think I have seen. It's, it's using a concept, uh, forgive me, I'll go a little bit here. Sure, sure. Called, called, uh, I think it's called quantum pinning. Okay. And basically... When you have a superconductor and apply a magnetic field through it, uh, while you're cooling it down, the magnet becomes uh, suspended, and you can actually move it around, and it'll always try to reorient itself back to the way the field, because the mag- the superconductor is re-emitting the magnetic field perfectly. Yeah. Because there's no resistance. Right. So this magnet. Because that's how cold it is. Yeah, and be- so the magnet will actually stay permanently fixed in one location so you can even take the superconductor turn upside down and the magnet will never fall or get closer or further away oh okay and and so they people make like these tracks for these magnets yeah, so it's like kind of cheating a little bit because a little there's bit. something underground that's exactly that staying above so how i figured they must have done with the the hoverboard for tony hawk was a special kind of surface combined with the superconductors in the board and that's why there's liquid nitrogen yeah. like the gas coming out of it yeah that makes sense um but it's really fascinating uh, a concept, but that but they're not doing anything like that in this. They yeah. literally just have liquid nitrogen in containers, and you can't tell what they're doing with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, David Ryman's experiment seems to have absolutely nothing to do with, with what they're doing because <laughs> it's just a bunch of tubes yeah, attached just, to a piece of wood. Yeah, and then he just has a graph with completely unlabeled lines on it going yeah. up and down. 
Unless he just knows by the color what the lines represent. Yeah. It he, seems like a pretty useless graph. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's doing some kind of experiment. I guess it doesn't really matter because it's supposed to be over your head anyway. Yeah. So it's just supposed to look cool. And uh, he, uh, he's complaining that his readings aren't coming out right because he knows that there's a leak in the system. But he can't find it. Because he hasn't checked anywhere for yeah, it. Yeah, he hasn't checked the, the big, enormous like stain that's in the wood coming from one section of the pipes. Yeah. And, so uh, MacGyver says, try the mass spectrometer mm-hmm. to find the leak, and then he finds it right away. Yeah. And then you could pretty much plug this leak with maybe anything? Yeah, anything. Probably anything. Anything at all. Yeah. He, he probably could have pinched it with his fingers. <laughs> yeah. And, and plugged it. But he said he's been, tr- later on he'll say he'd been working hours at it. Yeah, he'd been working hours to plug it. And it's like, you couldn't find scotch tape in hours? Yeah. Um, and MacGyver says, like, he, he gives him some obscure compound, like, but they don't have it. Like, oh, we're all out of that one specific compound. Yeah. What's another very specific compound that would fulfill this? Yeah, glue. Uh, glue. Um, one of those like stretchy erasers. Like yeah, it, any kind of anything. Yeah. Uh, masking tape, duct tape, yeah. scotch tape. Oh yeah, any of those. Electrical tape. <laughs> but instead, <laughs> instead of any of those things that you would find in a lab, right? Uh, uh, MacGyver kind of eyeballs the the. The one girl, Hillary, is chewing a piece of gum. Who's another one of the physics follies finalists? Correct. Um, and it was kind of it's kind of a cool moment because the professor Ryman asks MacGyver, "You could fix this, couldn't you?" And MacGyver just kind of casually looks over at the gum in her mouth, and yeah. the professor immediately picks up on where MacGyver is going with it, um, which I I think is like a good good sense of their relationship. I thought and, MacGyver was just checking her out. Yeah, but oh, maybe maybe he maybe he did notice the gum. <laughs> I mean, come on, MacGyver, college student, you know. Yeah. But you know. I don't know. What would Kate Lafferty say? <laughs> and it wasn't good enough for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I thought we were going to make a reference to Mike. Or that, yeah. No one's good enough for MacGyver. What goes up must come down, Mike. Oh, wow. She knows a lot about physics. <laughs> uh so the professor takes a piece of gum from her mouth, like, asks her to spit it out. and uh, <laughs> I like it better if he didn't ask her to spit it out. He takes it from yeah. her mouth. <laughs> yeah, just... Get... Well, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> well, like like Harvey Corman in Blazing Saddles? Yeah. We just, or he just reaches into the guy's mouth. Aha! <laughs> gum! I think it was actually Slim Pickens who did the reaching, though. Um, uh, yeah, and then he just squishes it onto the pipe. I, yeah, and then it works. So, yep. problem solved with just gum. Just like anything would have. Hopefully, yeah. I don't. I don't imagine that gum will contaminate the results of whatever this experiment is. Anyway. And the mass spectrometer isn't picking anything up now, so yeah, it's clearly solved the problem. And then we move to him walking through like the central park Quads, area of, yeah. the, of the school, and, he, and he's, he's with his girlfriend Janet. Right, and yeah. uh, and Janet Janet is played by uh, um, the actress is named Lisa Wilcox. Mm-hmm. And uh, she actually provides the voice of uh, Missy Preston on the Bill and Ted cartoon. And she was the lead character in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And then she yeah. comes back for the fifth one. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because it, it's, it's like the dream. She's like con- con- controller dreams or something like that. Right, yeah. She's like a lucid dreamer. Yeah. Um, again, another TNG uh, alum who I yeah, remember. Yeah, she's in there too. Yeah. I remember her from that one uh, that she's in. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a Riker romance story, which I love because like Riker is basically the William Shatner of the right, group, where yeah, he yeah. sleeps with everybody. Yeah, and so he's he's kind of like like falling in love with this Lisa Wilcox's character Utah. I want to say her name was, 
Um, but she's actually an assassin. Uh-oh. Spoiler alert. Amazing <laughs> episode, though. Uh, uh, let's see. So David offers to show her his barricade. Right. Which is not a euphemism. Yeah. Um, at this point, has he already forgotten her birthday and then given her a rose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, yeah, it we was kinda, in the classroom, right? Yeah, we kind of glossed over that. He's, yeah. he's been having, like, concentration issues and, and I don't want to say memory loss, but he's been, like, not focused yeah. on other things other than this barricade contest. Right. Uh, and, and I also kind of skipped over it there, but um, after he puts the, the gum on the pipe to, to stop the leak, um, Ryman kind of chews his son out yeah. for being <laughs> an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> choose choose him out. Uh, that's good. Um, but yeah, no, he, he gives him a bunch of crap about being an idiot and yeah. uh, not being able to solve his own problems and things like that. Um, but yeah, then we move to this conversation where he's he's decided that to make it up to Jana for forgetting her birthday, right. apparently, he's going to show her how his barricade works. And she was not expecting this and mm-hmm. actually uh, appreciates it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as they're approaching David's dorm room, she says out loud, I can't believe you're going to show me your barricade yeah. at the same moment that uh, Just Jeffrey... loud enough for Jeffrey Kramer to hear. Yeah, Jeffrey Kramer, who is also walking down the hall, happens happens upon them. And so as they both go into the dorm and close it, Jeffrey Kramer runs into his dorm and pulls out one of those big uh, dish, audio dish enhancing things that you see yeah, like football yeah. games and stuff like that. And so he just points it at his own door to hear through that door, through the door across the hall. Yeah. To listen to them talk. Which so, I don't think it would work so well as a directional mic. Yeah. Through flat surfaces, because I feel like... You'd have to point it at the crack under the floor. Yeah, yeah. You'd be trying to catch sound waves that would be actually bouncing toward you. Yeah. Uh, so we know he's listening in. So now we're with David and Janet in David's dorm room across the hall mm-hmm. from Jeffrey. And he starts explaining how the thing works. And he's got a garage door opener with this big kind of like plunger kind of surface yeah. uh, on the on the one end. And he's basically kind of just showing her how it opens and closes and blocks the door. Yeah, and she's like, oh, okay, it's a garage door opener. Yeah. Um, but then to in the curtain, kind of curtained off area, he has a shabby miniature <laughs> of yeah. the dorm room. How anyone would be fooled by this miniature is beyond me. Yeah. Um, but I guess you're kind of looking through a periscope, and it might have, like, that tilt-shift photography kind of... Uh, yeah, effect to it. Yeah. I mean, the problem for me is more, like, the bed sheet looks like it's made out of, like, a really thick canvas. Yeah. And the window on the back is just a window frame taped to a cardboard wall. Right. Like, you would notice right away that there's no window. Yeah, there's no light coming yeah. through that window. It's literally the same... The same surface as the wall next to the window right. is, is being used for the window. And there's curtains covering it here on the miniature now, but later on, when people are looking through the periscope, there's not. It's yeah. not covering the back wall, so it's just a flat pink wall. And when we see... Well, we'll get there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they're clearly not looking at the at the miniature when they're looking through the, the people. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure people's supposed to give you that image looking the opposite direction. You're not supposed to be able to see into completely the into a room yeah. with a fisheye lens view of everything in the room. I think the purpose of it is specifically for the contest. Yeah, so like, like he he literally put the peephole in backwards right. so that people could see into the room. Right. Which but, um, apparently Hillary did the same thing. Yeah. Um, and 
but he must have done it for a while now because and, and, and I would think that anyone could have just looked into his room at any time. Unless yeah, they got could like have been a, seeing him work on this experiment. Yeah, he, unless he's got like got it covered all the other times. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, the trick is that you look through the people and you see the garage door opener, uh, uh, in the closed position. So it looks like it's up against the door. So when you trigger the garage door opener, when you find the frequency, it opens the miniature, but actually closes the real door. Right. The barricade is that the door is unlocked the entire time. Not even taking the precaution to actually just close the deadbolt lock, the normal lock, in case someone should lean on the doorknob. Yeah, I I don't remember any kind of a rule against redundancies like yeah hey i have a, this thing that barricades the door but also there's this fail safe and then yeah. this other fail safe exactly it's supposed to be a challenge i would have multiple locks yeah that you would have to solve yeah but again we don't know what the contest is yeah so we don't know all the rules the uh, closest we get to an explanation of the rules is when uh aaron at one point says that you're supposed to be able the rules say that you have to be able to open the door without busting it down with a sledgehammer yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially but other than that, we're not given any specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, so Janet is very impressed and excited about the barricade, but then... So she... excited that she just dictates out loud what's happening. Yeah. Um, but then she spots uh, a packet of unmarked pills in a right. little baggie. A little which... Altoid sack. Yeah. Uh, we later come to find out that it's speed. Right. Um, but And uh... apparently he's had a problem with it before, because yeah. she says, I thought you told me you were not using that yeah. stuff anymore. We're kind of getting the, the, the Jesse Spano Saved by the Bell. Yeah. He's so excited PSA. and he's so scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he's kind of saying like, oh, lay off. You know, I'll quit once this whole thing's done. And she's all, no, you'll stop now. And and she tries to take him, take the pills from him. And he aggressively pushes her away and into the door. Yeah. And it clearly is like a violent act that maybe even hurt her a little bit. And yeah. so she's frightened and so she runs off and, and he, he chases her down trying to get, trying to get her to come back. Cause yeah. he didn't mean to do that. Right. Um, and so as they leave, uh, Jeffrey opens up his door <laughs> needlessly. Gives us one of those villainous. Yeah. I heard everything faces. Yeah. And the actor playing the Jeffrey Kramer character is, uh, Ted Cole. And he, does a lot of uh, anime voices. Um, he did uh, the voices of uh, Yamcha and Android 17 on Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. And uh, he did a voice in Ranma. Mm-hmm. Um, Tadawaki Kuno, I guess. Yeah. I haven't seen any of that. So. Yeah, whenever I've watched Ranma, it's always been subtitled anyway. Yeah, but so. those, those have been his two bigger roles. Uh, so in the... That, that's all Act 1, by the way. That's like It's like a really long, involved yeah, Act yeah, yeah. 1. Um so we come back from the commercial, and MacGyver is introducing the contest to the finalist outside. And there's like a small crowd gathered right. of what appear to be college students and also really old people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's like some woman with a huge purse. It's like, <laughs> why is she here? Um, I mean, she could be another student or a professor, I suppose. Yeah. Um, there's one of those students that just asks a lot of questions and yeah. really wants to participate. Um, so they, they all enter the building and they intro all of their doors. Yeah. So, uh, the, the first door, uh, which start I, with Aaron's, I think. Yeah. Aaron's door is, is like 10 or 12, uh, double locks. Well, what is it? Forty ninety six is the combination count. Yeah. Yeah. So forty ninety six, um, it cut in half is, uh, 20, 48, 10, 24, uh, five, 12, 
256, uh, 128, 64, 64 32, 32, 32, 16, 8, 8 4, 4, 2. 2. So it's, one. Yeah, but it's two possibilities per lock, so mm. it doesn't go down to one. So it would be like 2 to the 10th, so there's 10 locks. Okay. I think. And, uh, yeah, they're just lined up ten, ten deadbolts right. up the side of the door. And and supposedly, though I think you could, but in this universe, you can't tell whether a deadbolt is opened or closed by turning the key. Yeah. And feeling the mechanics yeah, of the you, lock you turning. You usually can. Um, you can, yeah, so, but uh, in this universe you can't. Yeah, there's usually a momentum to the, the pin sliding out. Yeah. That you can feel it, throw it to one side or the other. But here he's decided, and and he's using. You pointed out, he if he like, used a non-magnetic pin and yeah. bolt, then this would have totally ruined the solution for it. Right, because uh, the solution should be to try every single solution until you open it. Yeah, it would take much longer than it should. Um, so uh, the next door is uh, uh, Hillary's door, and she has a scale, a balancing scale, with. Uh, a glass of water on one side and a glass of wine on the other. And uh, if one of them should happen to fall, it completes the circuit and opens the door. Yeah. And that's that's her door. Right. And then we move on to David's door. Mm-hmm. Which, we, we, which we've explained is the garage door opener yeah. miniature. Well, yeah. well, well, he doesn't explain he that. Does, yeah, all he says is that it's a mechanical, it's a mechanical barricade and uh, that if you use your cunning and wisdom, yeah. you'll be able to solve my door. Because he's very full of himself. Yeah. For a guy who left his door unlocked. Yeah. Let me show you how it works. Oh. This is the only barricade that a cat burglar would love if he happened <laughs> upon it. Because that's the oldest... Because he wouldn't even look through the peephole. Because why would you look through the peephole to get into a room? Yeah. Um, and then Jeffrey's door, which I don't know how they didn't see him building, but... Yeah, it looks like a safe. Yeah, it's got like a gigantic metal surface... And a small, like, 99-cent store alarm clock yeah. <laughs> meshed into it. Yeah. And uh, he says it's on a time lock that will open tomorrow yeah, at tomorrow 9 a.m. Yeah, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., yeah. Um, and that's Which, when if, they... if he'd have said it a little bit further, like, he could have been like, oh, it'll open up in two years. Yeah. And then it's like, it doesn't matter how much you overclock it. Exactly. Um, and that's when uh, we get the, the, the one of the contest rules is that you have to be able to open the door. Right. But I don't think setting a, a timer to prevent it from opening before 9 a.m. the next day is cheating because yeah. you, the door opens. You yeah. just have to wait. You have to apply time. Yeah. Uh, also, the the concept of how he breaks they break the door, getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. is silly because the door should have been running independently. Right. But It's we'll also get... a reuse of a trick that they used to open a door faster than it was supposed to open in Flames End. Exactly. It's the same, it's the same concept. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they kind of initiate the contest and they're all breaking and starting to run out and get their own little pieces of equipment. Yeah. Uh, David starts putting together, uh, a sound oscillating system. Yeah. So and, they, his, his intention is to play a sound loud enough to shatter one of the glasses on either end of the scale. Exactly. The and Jeffrey at the deadbolt door is, uh, magnetizing the deadbolts and then, uh, with his giant acne yeah, magnet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a magnet that you... It's literally a magnet from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> like, it, it's its the magnet that he used against Judge Doom. It's that you the, get stuck to the barrel with. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, he's magnetizing the locks and then using iron filings to indicate to see whether or not the bolt is engaged. Yeah. Which means a couple of different things. One, that this is an extremely powerful magnet. Yeah. That could magnetize enough the, of the, the metal. The entire length of the metal, yeah. Yeah. And and that wouldn't attract the filings, however. Like, it's powerful enough that it can yeah, magnetize Yeah, it wouldn't them. just pull them off the side. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. would have just thrown them to the magnet. Yeah. Um, There's obviously someone holding a magnet on the opposite side of that wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because the, the timing with the, the door lock turning doesn't quite match yeah, up. Yeah, it's a little bit off. Uh, so, uh, in the meantime, uh, Hillary is working on Dave's door. with the She's trying to get the frequency of the garage door opener. But she's using she's just using the garage door opener. And for those people who don't know, if you ever opened one up, like a standard... It's usually like eight switches. Yeah, or more. Yeah. Um, and they basically, it's a binary system. It's on or off. And depending on which ones are on or off changes the frequency that the remote operates so on. So it's the same thing as Aaron's door, but in the form of this little garage door opener where you're just trying to find the combination. Exactly. It's instead of a instead of a physical lock, it's a it's a frequency digital yeah. lock. Um, and I think most garage door openers are have gotten beyond that. They've gotten like smarter. Yeah. So at the very least, this should have like a thousand twenty four combinations possible. Yeah. Um, but she's trying them one at a time. Right. And so it's going to take her a while. Because she's, she's doing what, what you should be doing for the other door. Yeah. Because like, like, this other thing shouldn't work. Because she doesn't know you can use magnets. Yeah. And uh, Aaron is not able, is having a hard time trying to figure out the time lock. He's like listening in on it with a stethoscope trying to get an idea yeah. of how the mechanisms work. And MacGyver and Professor Ryman are standing in the hallway watching everyone work. And uh, Ryman kind of makes a point that Aaron's approach to David's door or to Jeffrey's door is the wrong one. Yeah. That's yeah. not going to help. Um, cause he's acting like he's a safe cracker or something mm-hmm. like he's going to actually like be able to find a way in, but there's not a combination. There's, yeah, there's no exactly. dial to turn. So there's no point in listening to it. Um, but, uh, so David puts the oscillator together and starts just turning up the frequency louder and louder and, uh, um, or higher and higher, I guess I yeah, should say yeah. it's not really louder. It's louder to the audience. It's more and more painful. Yeah. It makes it louder to the audience so you get the, the sense that he's turning up the frequencies right. higher. Um, and uh, and uh, so he shatters... Everything that's glass in, <laughs> Everything. in the whole vicinity. <laughs> the, the preacher. The preacher whose glasses... <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> uh, we are, of course, referencing a, another MacGyver episode. <laughs> um, that was the, the Enemy Within, right? Right, yeah. When he's given the speech. And... Uh, so yeah, the glass shatters and the door opens. And at the same time, Jeffrey has figured out the, the proper key combination for Aaron's door. So they both open them at the same time, which eliminates Aaron and Hillary from the contest. Right. Because the other two doors have not yet been solved. So I guess it's like, it's kind of weird how it kind of just blends into the same moment. Like now they've already switched to the other doors and they're working on it. Like there's yeah. no like transition. But it's also kind of odd that we we saw the solution to the multiple lock door mm-hmm. and he took like another 10 minutes to get the rest yeah. of them. And it's like, you're already halfway down the door in the middle of your explanation. Like exactly. How did it take you that long to figure out the rest of it? And the, cause they weren't all locked anyway. Or were you just waiting for David to finish his door so that you could steal the thunder by being like, Oh, and I did too. Yeah. And push your door open. Cause he's that kind of way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now they, they move over to 
checking each other's doors. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like David figures out pretty quickly right. a way to get into the door. Right, yeah. He, he, he comes back from the lab having built an oscillator for the power. Right. And so he's plugging into the power grid. Like, he's opening up, like, a circuit breaker box and plugging it in there. Yeah. So basically anything that's running on the electricity of the building should be running faster. Yeah. It should be overclocking or just shorting out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, in the meantime, Jeffrey is pretending like he doesn't understand how David's door works. Like, he figures out the garage door frequency and then pretends like, oh, the door's still locked. I don't understand how things are working. Yeah. Um, oh, I see. The garage door has nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. Uh, which seems to be violating the rules. What? Because, like, you're supposed to be able oh, to that have... you told everyone this is how you solve it, and then you solve that problem, and it's like, oh, this didn't actually fix yeah, it. And, yeah, and that there's no other visual clue to what the problem could be. So I feel like that's... Uh, you that... just have to know what the inside of the room looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that does seem like cheating. Yeah, I do feel like David cheated and Jeffrey didn't. Yeah. Because all Jeffrey did was listen to people talk outside his room. Yeah, and it's, you know, you should have been quiet. You shouldn't have described the inner workings of your barricade across the hall from the guy who needs to know that information. In detail. Yeah. Uh, so David starts uh, increasing the frequency of the power, which causes the clock to turn. Which, again, the clock should have been working independently of the power grid. Right. Like, it should have been, like, a on battery a battery-powered clock, yeah. Exactly. And that would have been cooler had he, like, taken the clock face off and then sped up the clock or yeah, got, yeah. gotten into the clock in some kind of way rather than using the, the building's power. What if it was that simple? Like, he just takes the face off and just turns the hand? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I was saying. It's like... <laughs> that's all you needed to do. You shatter the glass and get to the clock and yeah. you spin it around. Because that's all that's happening when he speeds up the power. Yeah, the clock true. hands are just spinning around faster and yeah. faster. Um, Man, we would have gotten in so much faster. Yeah. Because he had to wait... So yeah. long. Um, so while the clock is ticking around and coming around to nine, uh, Jeffrey waits to like, like the last minute on yeah. purpose just to embarrass him. Yeah. So he's like, ah, I figured it out. It was all an illusion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he opens the door. Yeah. And you can see like Professor Ryman is obviously like super disappointed in his son. Yeah, but gives like a, a like an applause. Like yeah. I have to, a forest applause. And then he says, well. Let's go talk to the winner. Yeah. <laughs> like, my son's a loser. Right. And that's when Jeffrey's door, of course, pops open. Right. And it's like, oh, it would have only been ten more seconds. <laughs> and it's like, well, it would have been taken a lot longer because he was waiting for you to be within ten seconds to yeah. embarrass you. Yeah. <laughs> I am a loser. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. takes it real hard. Yeah. D- David kind of storms off. Janet's trying to, to comfort him. Yeah. And he's just not having any of it. He's yeah. he's he's just convinced that this is his fault for being who he is, and uh, runs off. Uh, and Jeffrey's like, "Oh, let's all celebrate me!" And uh, and <laughs> who wants to buy me the first drink? Yeah, exactly. It's like, are you college students? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the end of Ugly Duckling again when they're all at a bar. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, what grade what is she in? <laughs> I thought she's supposed to be a teenager. Yeah. Um. And so, as everyone leaves, MacGyver stays behind and checks out David's barricade. And he, he finds the miniature and the periscope. And we can see him putting something together, uh, and we're, we can kind of assume what he's put together. Yeah. But uh, he hasn't yet revealed it in voiceover or any other way. He yeah, just kind of, yeah. like, has a moment of thought. And uh, the, ne- 
next act opens up at the party. And MacGyver's trying to talk to the professor about David now, because he found out about the drugs from, uh, from Janet. Janet. Yeah. And she, quote unquote, inadvertently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is like, oh, it, well, it's no wonder that he's taking those, uh, those nothing. drama <laughs> classes. <laughs> drama <laughs> classes. That's perfect. He should take drama classes. Uh, I think he's taking too many. <laughs> no, I don't think he's taking enough. <laughs> Uh, MacGyver's trying to convince the professor that uh, David's on drugs. He's like, no, I don't believe you, MacGyver. He couldn't do things like that with drugs. Well, he couldn't have won this contest on drugs. There's no such thing as performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> They're only a detriment. <laughs> only. You're saying my son's on heroin. No, speed. It's the, it's, to- it's the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. It makes you better at things. It's so, so good. <laughs> so, like... Heroin. No. It makes you better at doing heroin. <laughs> uh, at this point, uh, MacGyver's trying to tell him about uh, that David's under a lot of pressure, and that's when he sig- singles out Jeffrey. Like, Jeffrey here handles pressure totally different. And Jeffrey's all, did someone say my name? I think I heard my name. It makes sense because it's my party. Um, party's a strong word because no one in the room is saying anything and there's no music playing. Yeah, it's... it's just dead silent. <laughs> Did someone say my name? Or anything at all? <laughs> you can hear a pin drop in here. <laughs> That's how my parties go. <laughs> drop that pin. Yeah. DJ, drop that pin. <laughs> uh, I don't go to parties, clearly. <laughs> no, that's how they go. Uh, so uh, MacGyver wants Jeffrey to tell him how he defeated the lock. He's like, oh, well, I use my ingenuity and creativity. It's like, no, I think you should explain it more scientifically. Yeah. And at first, Jeff was like, well, I don't have to tell you what I did. And that's when Professor Ryman says, no, you will tell us scientifically. How you deduced that this door was not actually locked the whole time. Um, And does he say? Yeah, well, he he says, well, you saw it was all an illusion. It's like, yeah, we did. We did see that. But you didn't because you never went in the room and looked. Yeah. You, the only way you could have known that is if you had heard it or figured it out beforehand. Yeah. Um, which, again, is hearsay. Yeah. Um, but it's also not fair to say, well, the only way that you could possibly have opened this door is if you went in beforehand. Yeah. It's like, well, then that's not really fair, is it? Yeah. If the only way I could have opened the door is by having been inside the room and knowing the inner workings of the lock, then, there's, then he failed the contest because... I should be able to tell from the outside how to open it. Yeah. I. It's questionable. I see where they were going with it. <laughs> yeah. It's necessary to make a villain out of him. Yeah. So. I think what they should have had was have him break into the room. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like, David and Janet go into the room, he tells her, and then as they leave, he sees that they're leaving, and then takes that opportunity to yeah. break in. Yeah. That would have been more malicious. That would have been a cheat. Yeah. What he did was not cheating at all. He didn't even leave his room to do it. Yeah. If 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 Unethical. David had just leaned against his door and said, "By the way, in my room there's a miniature and the yeah. door's unlocked the whole time," he wouldn't have been cheating by taking advantage of that right. information. It, it, I would say at the very least it's unethical. Yeah. But not totally against the contest rules. Yeah. Not a clear violation. Yeah. Whereas David's David's uh, actual barricade seems against the rules. Yeah, because you can't solve it. By visually looking at it. Yeah. Uh, so as Jeffrey is shamed into leaving, 
uh, MacGyver and Professor Ryman go to look for David. To let uh, him know that he officially won the contest retroactively. Right, right. Um, and I guess you're, I think you were right that this isn't David's room, although it's very decorated because it's, it's on the opposite end of the hallway. Right, yeah. Um, but it looks just like the miniature room because yeah. there's a poster of Albert Einstein, but I guess maybe every physics student has one up. Yeah. And there's the American flag. Even though Albert Einstein never won a very contest. Very contest, apparently. Um, and there's the American flag skateboard, which I think David had in his miniature. Yeah, he did. Um, and so I thought that was very strange, unless it was just her skateboard, and she. Yeah. Uh, we never saw her use it. Yeah. Um, but there's at, at least three of them though. Yeah. One in his room, one in hers room, and a tiny one. A in very his tiny room. one. Um, and so as they're going to David's dorm, she comes out of hers, Janet, and says, "Oh, I was just about to come get you. David's on the phone." On this 1970s phone, yeah, speaker's it's, phone. it's like Charlie's Angels phone. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a little speakerphone box that is a separate piece from the phone mm-hmm. that you might have if this was your office, right? But I don't think you would have it in your dorm room because you're if you're just taking calls, you're not gonna need a speakerphone in your dorm room. Yeah, there's only one bed in the room. Exactly, it's, these are all it's her room by herself. She yeah. wouldn't need a speakerphone. These are all single units. Um, so David is on the other end, and we see him. Uh, uh, taking handfuls of the drugs and drinking at the same time. Right. And he's he's lovingly caressing a, a bomb that he's yeah, made. Yeah, he's put a bomb together. <laughs> he, he is the Viking. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he like, he's touching it and he goes, oh yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's, he is just finished telling Janet about it and as uh, Ryman and MacGyver come in, he starts singing a song. Rhyming and son, rhyming and son, rhyming and son, yeah! <laughs> and he's talking about how he's barricaded himself now in the physics lab. The original barricade. Right. That Ryman did. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, but he's built a bomb. Right. And so MacGyver and Professor Ryman decide to go and try to get him out of there. And that's when Professor Ryman says, if there is a bomb, it's going to be more than just the physics lab that gets destroyed. Yeah. Because there's plutonium in the nuclear physics lab above them. Right. Which shouldn't be above, it should be below. Yeah. It should be in the ground. Nuclear material should be deep underground, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, unless that lab is somehow barricaded also, Yeah. go get that plutonium and move it before this right. bomb goes off. There's so many things you could do. There's no reason that they can't go in there, get the plutonium out, and then get everyone out of the building. Right. That's all they needed yeah, to do. That's all they needed to do. But instead, uh, it's more dramatic if you go and try to confront if you pretend the plutonium is fixed and has to stay in one place forever. <laughs> it's behind several layers of security. <laughs> all, all the all the previous students' barricades have been utilized yeah. in order to secure the. You plutonium. don't have time for all the combinations. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that would be kind of interesting. Like, they just keep applying the barricades to doors. Yeah. Oh, and I was telling you before that I, I had hoped that they would make some kind of a metaphor out of the contest by having Professor Ryman say something like, oh, well, you know, I've, I've tried to get through to him, I just haven't had any luck. And then MacGyver would say, oh, the door's been open the whole time. It seems like something that belonged in this episode. Yeah, it's... This is like a, a combination PSA of like uh, understanding your kids and drug abuse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and plutonium-based barricade. Plutonium-based barricade maneuvers. <laughs> um, and apparently he didn't know there was plutonium up there when he yeah. started the bomb, or else I guess he wouldn't have done it. 
I guess that's not something you make public. Um, yeah, you don't tell everybody that there's plutonium there. Yeah, that this school is probably harboring some I wonder if they, they even know, or if it's just Professor Ryman knew that it was there because he's been doing experience with experiments with plutonium <laughs> and didn't tell anyone. I've been trying to build my own bomb <laughs> for the Libyans. <laughs> I've outdone you again, David. <laughs> <laughs> if only you would have seen the solution. Nitroglycerin is for children, David. <laughs> he's using a liter of nitroglycerin. Yeah, he's, the bomb has a liter of nitroglycerin. That's a lot of nitro. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we saw what happened with the uh, few sticks of dynamite uh, yeah. in in uh, Hellfire. Yeah, a like, couple drops of it. Yeah, the, would the, like explode on its own. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is like a serious explosive device. and uh, But the door to the physics lab has been wired with uh, some sort of electrodes that will arc electricity across them if you approach the door. Right. Um, and there's a motion sensor, like a garage door sensor. Yeah. Um, that can tell if you're passing through the boundary of the doorway. So while MacGyver is trying to figure out a way to defeat the motion detector, Professor Ryman is trying to talk down his son. Right. And they have, like, a, a... He basically calls him out on, like, you didn't come to my swim meet. Uh, all the presents that I ever got from you were always just signed from you, and they were never from you. Yeah. And uh, he grills him on when his birthday is. Right. And it, it's kind of it's evilly clever how he says, like, you know, the professor's like, oh, your birthday's in, in May. When in May? And the professor just kind of grasps his straws and says, uh, May 24th. And that's when he goes, oh, nope. June 6th. So he's, June 6th. <laughs> you lose. <laughs> I do like how he keeps sliding in and out of frame on that stool. Yeah. Like, every time, like, they call him, like, they try to get his attention, we just have, like, this static long shot of the, the length of the physics lab, and he just slides in on this stool, and then yeah. slides back out when he's not <laughs> talking. Um, Assuming that David is 21, and this takes place in 1987, then his birthday is, like, 6666. Just like oh. the, the omen birthday. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Creepy kid. Um, that's why he built a bomb. And uh, so MacGyver has found some acetic acid and ammonia, right? Which he's going to use to make a smoke cloud, very similar to the one he he had made in DOA MacGyver. Yeah. Although different acid, we've discovered. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but. Ryman has almost talked him down. Like, he, he tells him about the plutonium, and and uh, David seems to almost believe him, and that's when Ryman says, like, listen, David, you're not you're going to contaminate everyone. You're going to hurt other people, including Janet. Right. And that's and when... He stands up, like, freaking out. Like, he's, like, sobered by it. Yeah. And then he passes out. Right. From the drug overdose. And uh, so he's down for the count, so he, there's no way they can depend on him taking anything down or telling him how the bomb works. Yeah. And... So MacGyver takes the uh, the chemicals and makes the cloud, right. which allows them to pass through the motion detector. So they find the bomb, and... Uh, it seems like the stuff should have arced when the fog was moving toward the camera. I feel like that, too. Because that would be representative of motion like, yeah. in, in the eyes of the motion detector. That's what I feel. And I also feel that they could have... Um, they Because he had the door out in the hallway. Yeah. I feel like you could have just, like shoved the door back into the frame and used it to prevent the 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 electricity from arcing. Oh, yeah, maybe. Like, because it wouldn't have had the contact, the direct contact. It would have Unless been. those things were actually blocking the door frame. 
so that you couldn't close the door. That's true. In which case, you would just slam the door hard enough to knock them all off the door. Yeah, exactly. Like I think <laughs> I think you have some other options. Yeah. Um, so they find the bomb, and Janet is still on the phone. Uh, like he left the phone off the hook. Yeah. And Max says you need you need to call the police and the bomb squad, uh, and have them evacuate the campus. Right. Just in case. Just in case. And uh, so even the professor says like, "Are we going to wait for the bomb squad?" And he said, "There's no time. We are the bomb squad." Yeah. And so they start taking a look at the bomb, and it's got. I think, I think there's like five, about five minutes left on the timer. Yeah. And I uh, think it was set for twenty originally, so fifteen mm. have passed. And there's a a mercury switch. Uh, in a petri dish. So if the mercury contacts any of the outer rim of the petri dish, it'll complete the circuit and set off the bomb. Right. And, and the, the timer is set to tip the dish so that when the time runs out, that mm-hmm. the mercury will automatically hit one of the wires. Correct. Um, so another solution here could have been, at the exact moment that the timer runs out, turn the bomb 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the mercury in the center of the dish even after it tips. It turned it the wrong way. Oh no! I had to guess. Uh, I'm going to spoil a movie here for everyone because I doubt anyone's going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, Hindenburg with uh, George C. Scott. Oh, I was just going to watch that today. The movie is premises that the, the Hindenburg was blown up by a bomb. Oh, okay. And George C. Scott finds the bomb at the end and it's attached to a pocket watch. And so the, the hands of the watch are about to hit it. And so he, he pulls the pin to change the time, to give himself more time, but he doesn't know which way to turn it. And, and that's why he sets it off. Yeah, so he, 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 he's, like, struggling with the decision, so he just makes a decision to turn it, and you see the hands collapse to, to each other, and the bomb Boom. blows up. I was like, oh, man, that's a horrible decision to be in. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, that episode of Archer, when there's the bomb on the Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's helium. <laughs> it's not flammable. Yeah, what is it about that you don't get? Clearly the entire core concept, Lana. <laughs> Okay, so they realize that uh, they try to unscrew the casing, but they see that the screws are wired in. Right. And uh, their next plan is to try to freeze the bomb itself with liquid nitrogen. In order to freeze the mercury, but it seems it would be better better to just freeze the plastic and break it to get into the bomb. Yeah. Because nothing seems to be wired to the fact that the plastic can be can't be broken. Right. Yeah. And you had you had your own solution. Just put it on a drill press. <laughs> just like put it the whole way through the top of the box and then cut through the mercury dish so that all the mercury gets drained out of it. Yeah, and then bomb bomb diffused. Yes, bomb diffused. Um, so when they realize they can't freeze it, uh, they realize they're going to have to move it down. Uh, they figure if they can move it down to the elevator and send the elevator down to the basement. You know what else would have worked? <laughs> a crazy straw. <laughs> <laughs> just suck all the mercury out of mm, Mercury, sweetest of the transition metals. Delicious. <laughs> oh. Um, and this is where uh, Larry Dobkin and the screenwriters, which is odd since one of them is a physicist, yeah. gives themselves away because he says we'll have to move it to the elevator. And Professor Rami goes, but MacGyver, that's 20 yards. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, Physicist no, says yards? You wouldn't use yards. And then I pointed out that this is Canada and that physicists use yards outside of America. <laughs> it's they use the empirical system everywhere that they use the metric system in general conversation. Yeah. The point is that physicists are supposed to have secret information that no one else has. Mm-hmm. So they have to use the opposite system. That's right. To confuse. Yes. 
to obfuscate. I don't know how many meters are in a yard. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, so, um, they, uh, they utilize David's, uh, uh, wheelie stool, uh, that he had been sitting on sliding in and out of frame yeah, yeah. on to, uh, to try to move the bomb. As gently as possible without yeah. disrupting the mercury. Because it seemed to be pretty be- well bearing as he slid back and forth yeah, yeah. in frame. And, uh, so they get, MacGyver had jammed open the elevator before they started the plan. Yeah, with a little dustpan. Yeah. And so they... They carefully wheel it through the hallway and get it into the elevator. And then things get really weird because the professor knocks the dustpan out and the elevator doors close and they panic like the doors can never be reopened. Yeah. There's a button there that says open door, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. If this is an elevator, which it seems to be. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, then I don't understand what this this tiny room is mm-hmm. <laughs> that you've climbed into because... Clearly, it's a. It's supposed to take you in a direction like you have down. fifty-five seconds. Go down one floor, push it out, and then go back up. Yeah, if that was your plan. I don't or, know what else. Or you're... yeah, or 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 just get into the elevator, send the elevator down. Yeah, and hope that no one else calls it. Yeah. Um, but when they're in the elevator, the door closes, and they're like trying to pry it open. They're like, like, oh my god, I can't open this door, and it's like. That's not. This isn't how elevators work. They're not self-locking closets. Yeah, and they took it to get up there. Yeah. Like I don't under what's ha, what's his changed. It's like they took some information out. Like, like, like there was like, some clip about him disabling the elevator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like the buttons from the inside don't work anymore. So good luck trying to navigate that to yeah. another floor. Or 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 he yeah or he fixed it and so it would go down to the basement and stay there. And so that no one could accidentally call it. Right, yeah. And hopefully that there's no janitorial maintenance staff yeah, in the yeah. basement. Um, yeah, so they're trapped in the elevator, and now the only way is to try to cook off the mercury. Yeah, um, because freezing it didn't work because they couldn't get close enough to the actual mm-hmm. mercury. So they've decided they're going to boil the mercury, which freezing mercury is a lot easier than boiling it. Yeah. To boil it, you need to get it to 674 degrees Fahrenheit, which I watched a video of a guy last night trying to do it with a propane torch, mm-hmm. and he was just holding it on the mercury for over a minute. And even then, it was boiling very slowly. Yeah. Um, but there's no way you would be able to get it to the, this entire bubble of mercury to, to instantly yeah. flash boil in with just nearby electricity arcing. Without melting everything else around it. Right, yeah. If anything, the Petri dish would have melted and... But also the fact that you have like electricity here, the the sheet that the mercury is sitting on shatters yeah. or melts, whatever happened to yeah, it. Yeah. But now you have all these open wires and arcing wires right mm-hmm. next to them. There's no way it wouldn't complete the circuit. Yeah, and, and when the mercury flash boils, it pops. Yeah. And there's a liter of nitroglycerin in this thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a very violent pop. It's not like a general like... Psh. And then they drop the bomb when that happens it's like <laughs> dropping that much nitroglycerin would cause it to go off yeah it's it's the whole the whole kind of ending of this of fourth act kind of falls apart yeah it makes no sense it would have been it would have been more interesting had they succeeded in sending the bomb down to the sub level yeah because that's what i feel would have been the best solution yeah. for this or they should actually have a bomb floor beneath the the lowest level of the elevator where it's like push the bomb button and then yeah. if we accidentally have a bomb, we can send it to that floor. Yeah. Um, I, I know I was going to say, like, oh, it would have been better to just throw it down the shaft, like, 
John McClane style, but the, the Mercury Switch. I forgot about that damn Mercury Switch. Damn it. Um, so, yeah, so the bomb doesn't explode, and everything seems okay. Although, we don't know how MacGyver and the professor get out of this elevator, since you clearly... Yeah, there's no way out. Since, and, and they had to wait for the firemen to show up. Yeah, and MacGyver has now ripped all the wires out. Yeah. To to make this uh, his little cook off. But they get out somehow, and yeah. act, act five occurs in which David is being wheeled out on a gurney, clearly going to prison. Yeah. Um, and they try to make it like this heartfelt ending, like you've helped me reconnect with my son, and everything's going to be okay. It's Except not. I'm going to see him even less now because I'm going to have to get visitation hours. Yeah. And, and, and he's going to prison. He tried to kill a bunch of people. He almost set off a nuclear bomb on a college campus. Yeah, a dirty bomb. It, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, and, yeah, it's so it's so unhappy of an ending that they try to make you feel cheerful about, like, you know, oh, I'll make time to spend with my son because I'm going to be in court an awful lot. <laughs> it's like, the best way to spend time with my son now is to commit an equal felony. Yeah. And then he just stabs my guy for in the chest. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us together. <laughs> we'll be cellmates now. No, no, no. You're getting the chair. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's a very unusual, cheerful ending. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if Janet... Is Janet in that ending scene? I can't remember. I think she is. Yeah, I think but, she's there when they're wheeling him out. But obviously she's not going to... Yeah, she's not going to see him again. Yeah, that's... She's checking up with Aaron after this. <laughs> and he's not going to be able to finish college. All this stuff is horrible. Yeah. This is a horrible ending to an episode. Um, although I do love the barricade contest. Um, as bad as the barricades are, like, it's, like, it's on the flies that they feel yeah, like... Yeah, this is an episode I would like to see redone yeah. in, the, in the reboot if, they, if they're if they recycling stuff like that. I, I want to have a barricade contest. Yeah. Like, I want to, like build some kind of elaborate system that you can't breach. If only I had access to all this physics. Mine is, the trick is I'm just going to have, my door's going to be unlocked and I'm going to give you a key. <laughs> and it's like, go ahead, try the key. And then you'll try it and you'll lock, lock the it. door. Oh no! And then you'll be like, mind blown, I give up. <laughs> I give up. And if you figure it out, I'll accuse you of cheating because there's no way you could have figured it out. Right. With this key. Yeah. I gave you a key. Obviously it would have been locked, right? Right. How dare you try it without trying to unlock it? Cheater. Always check the lock first. I usually do when I'm breaking into places that yeah. are barricaded. It's like, why not? Yeah. There's not, what what could possibly what could you possibly have to lose by trying? But you're right though when he when he is at the door when it's supposedly locked with the garage door pushed up against yeah. it. He can't even turn the knob. Yeah. Like he, he should he should have been able to turn the knob and then try to put pressure on the door, yeah. um, and he would be able to hear. The contact on the door, right? He or would hear, feel it. yeah. He would hear or feel the sound of the garage door opener pushing something up against the door. Yeah. Unless it's not actually making contact with the door, it's just getting close enough that you can't open the door. But then, but, but then even I, then, it should have shown him. Yeah. Turn the knob like, the whole way, push it in like an inch. Yeah. And then hit the thing. And then he would have been able to see the miniature. Yeah. And deduce how everything worked. At the end. Because as soon as you look through the peephole, once the door is open an inch. Yeah. You would see that it doesn't line up anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all of that could have happened. Yep, <laughs> and it didn't. Um, I I had fonder memories of this episode. Yeah. Um, I, I still think it's good. Yeah, I still I, think it's fun. I, I just think that the ending falls apart with like they threw this bomb plot in that didn't need to be in there. And and the the 
fix for the bomb isn't yeah. satisfactory. Because if they could pry it open to cook off the mercury, then pry it open and then try to the liquid nitrogen yeah, again. When they were trying to freeze it, they're just spraying this plexiglass box. Yeah. And they're not even trying to get it inside. Because even... Like, it would have frozen everything. It would have even probably stopped that timer just from freezing the circuitry. Yeah. Like, like it would have damaged the circuitry. The timer wouldn't have worked. Um, I, I, it was a weird solution that I didn't feel worked. Although we will see all that stuff in the opening credits. Yeah, yeah, the, the mercury dish, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it for this episode. Yeah. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or future episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. You can find us at facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast or our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 3, Episode 10, Blowout. Which has nothing to do with the movie Blowout. Yeah. Which was in turn a remake of the movie Blow Up. <laughs> um, both of which are good. Yeah. So check them out. Yeah, we got Nikki Carpenter coming back. Yeah. Carpenter. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you for listening.